0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Why the Bible by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that we would have ears to hear. Jesus said, let those who have ears to hear, hear. And I pray this morning that we would have ears to hear the message you have for us this morning. I ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. A uh, very warm welcome to uh, Earl and Cheryl. I, uh, 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 welcome back. Uh, Cheryl, I thought, was Earl's daughter for a moment. Um, but thank you for coming back and visiting. And for those that are wondering who Earl is, he's the only guy I know that looks like a Jewish rabbi. He, he, <laughs> he looks more like a Jewish rabbi than anyone else. But uh, welcome, guys. And uh, all the fine things come from Tasmania, so... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're thinking. Uh, this morning I'd like to start with the story of a, an elderly couple uh, about Basil's age. For uh, for those that are wondering, oh, I don't know anybody any older than Basil, by the way, if you're wondering. Uh, the, the kale seems to mask it. I'm going to look this way for the rest of the sermon. <laughs> uh, an elderly couple, uh, they're growing into their grey years and... The, the husband, in particular, is beginning to forget stuff, and it's beginning to wax and wane. Karina's uh, thinking this is really sounding like our life story at the moment, but but things are beginning to wax and wane for them, and they go to the doctor because it's putting pressure on their marriage. You know, he he's forgetting more and more stuff, and so they go to the doctor. The doctor says, "Look, this is just the season of life you're in. There's not a whole lot we can do, but here's some practical stuff that might help. How about trying to write stuff down so you don't forget?" And They think, you know, this is really simple advice, but I think it could work for us. So they go home and they're they're sitting down pretty chuffed with what they'd achieved for the day. And as they're sitting there, the wife turns to her husband and says, you know what? I I could really go some ice cream right now. And he says, would you like me to get you some ice cream? And she says, that would be lovely. He says, I'll I'll go and get you some ice cream. And as he's getting up out of his chair, she says, come on, don't forget to write it down. And he says, it's ice cream. Come on, I can remember Ice cream. How many ladies are going, I know where this is going, right? (laughs) And as he's walking towards the kitchen, he gets about halfway and she says, oh, you you know what, I, I really like chocolate syrup on my ice cream. And he says, ice cream and chocolate syrup, I got it. She says, you better write it down. He says, no, no, I can remember that, I can remember that. And just as he's about to walk into the door of the kitchen, she yells, you know, I really like glazed cherries, ice cream, chocolate syrup and glazed cherries. And he says, yeah, I got it. Ice cream, syrup, cherries. She says, don't forget to write it down. He says, I can remember that. I'm already in the kitchen. And he's gone for nearly half an hour. And finally he emerges with the biggest plate of bacon and eggs you've ever seen. (laughs) And And he brings the bacon and eggs over to his lovely wife. And as he's sitting the bacon and eggs there, she goes, oh for goodness sake, where's my toast? (laughs) Uh, If you'll pardon me for a moment, we live, I believe, in a culture today that started looking for ice cream and came back with bacon and eggs and is wondering where the toast is. For those that are movie buffs will remember a movie possibly by, uh, which starred Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, we all know Leonardo DiCaprio, he's the Hollywood actor that can't win an Oscar. And <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio is the lead role in the movie Inception, for those that have watched the movie Inception. And of course we know that these guys are, in the movie they're extractors and they've, it's kind of a sci-fi flick that these guys have worked out a system where they can, uh, they've created a dream world where they can extract sensitive information from people. But the problem is this dream world's got you know four, five, six levels in it and, and the deeper they go into the movie, the deeper you work your way in, you realise that Cobb, the, the, the star of the movie, DiCaprio, uh, you realise that he gets so far into the dream world, he can't tell what's reality and what's dream world anymore. And the others, they've kind of developed kicks that are allows them to, to get out of the movie and awaken up and get out of the dream world. But, but for him, he struggles more and more to discern between the dream world and the real world. So he, he takes, for those that know, he takes Mal's totem with him. And in the dream world, that totem, that spinning top spins indefinitely. And so he knows he's in the dream world. And if he's in the real world, then it stops spinning And I'd like to pose to you that we live in a world that left the top behind many, many levels ago. In fact, what Jesus said when he came two millennia ago, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. And he could not have summed up the condition of humankind at that point in time any better than with the word lost. We are so far removed from reality and it's getting worse today. We are so far removed from reality, we don't know what's truth anymore and what is merely opinion or other facts. We lost the spinning top many, many levels ago. We currently live in a culture of what is best described as subjective truth. And a little bit more about that in a moment. But we've descended into that world of subjective truth. And Paul summed it up beautifully when he's writing to the Romans. Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul's talking about the wickedness in his time, 2,000 years ago. And he says, they, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And we live in a time when everybody's trying to suppress the truth. And we have lost the compass Many people are standing with a compass in their hand and have got no idea even how to use it. The questions that we need to ask is, is there truth today that we can build our life on? Is that truth God's Word and the Bible as we know it? Just before we enter into some of those things, let's ask a few questions. First one is, there are really two kinds of truth, really. Subjective truth and objective truth. We live in a culture today of subjective truth. It's a kind of postmodern culture where what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. And so truth is defined within ourselves. We, it's kind of like if I said that Tony Lockett was the best AFL player that's ever played, I could probably even give you statistics to back that up. The fact of the matter is, that's an opinion. It's subjective truth. There'd be other people here that would say, no, I know better players than Tony Lockett. And we all have what we call subjective truth. It's our opinion. And we live in a world that is filled with opinions. Subjective truth has even began to creep into the church. It sounds a little bit like this. When subjective truth creeps into the church, it sounds a little bit like, well, that might be the way you interpret the Bible, but I interpret it like this. There's one way to interpret the Bible. Many ways to apply it, but there's one way to interpret it. And there's one truth, I believe, that stands outside of all men and women. And that is objective truth. And that truth lays outside of us. It has implications for us. Objective truth, and I'm going to pose that the Bible is the objective truth that we live in. Objective truth is true whether you accept it or not. Now, I'm going to be a little bit biased here today, and I'm going to use a scriptural example for that. But objective truth would be something like this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you can live your life and never accept that, but that doesn't change the fact that He's Lord. And you can live your life the whole time and and never accept it, even you could refute it. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord. Uh, It's interesting, often we say to people, you know, you just need to make Jesus your Lord. Nobody... Nobody makes Jesus Lord. He already is. It's just whether we will accept and surrender to his Lordship. That's objective truth. You can't change that. Two weeks ago, I gave great evidence for the objective truth that God exists. Last week, we looked at enormous objective truth for the fact that Jesus is a real person and that he is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, risen from the dead. And today as we work our way through Scripture, let's see if we can answer the question that Pilate asked Jesus in John chapter 18. He says, what is truth? But then he turned around and walked away before Jesus could finish answering that question. You know, we've taken Scripture out of schools and I'd like to ask, how's that working out for you? In modern society today, we've taken... I I, I can even remember, and I know I'm only a spring chicken, But I can even remember scripture in schools at a very young age. But we've taken scripture completely out of schools and how's that beginning to work? This is why we should support our chaplains. This is why we must support religious instruction if we can, because we must uphold our uh, uh, scripture in schools in any way that we can. We've taken scripture out of parliament. (laughs) How's that working out for you? There's a push to take scripture out of the family. How's that working out for you? And God have mercy on us all. There is a push to take scripture out of church. How's that working out for you? When I hear phrases from very prominent preachers that sound a little bit like this, you know, on Sunday mornings, I just give a talk and I chuck a little bit of Bible in at the end. God have mercy on us. We're asking people to navigate a very confusing world when we have the compass right here. I'm going to make the case that we have the compass right here. But how can we know that it's truth? In fairness, this is a book, right? Many people are going to say this is just a book written by men. How can we know how can we base our life? How can we use this as the true north? This is this is my claim today. Whether whether you're inside a church circles today or outside, whatever realm you find yourself in, this is the objective truth that should guide us. And I make no apologies that when you turn up here Sunday we will open this book. Everything we do we pray over earnestly. We we probably won't always get it right but we we seek to do everything in this building according to this book because this is true north and you cannot navigate this life without this book. This book from front to back is... The demonstration of Jesus, it records, Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But Jesus says to a lost world, Jesus says, I'm the way. He didn't say I'm a way. He didn't say I'm one of many ways. He says, I'm the way. And the privilege we have is not that we are perfect. That's not the message we have for the world. The message we have for the world is not, we're perfect and you're all dirty, rotten sinners going to hell. That's not the message we have. The message we have is, uh, amidst a lost and confused world, we know the way. And we would like to show you the way. Jesus also said, I am the truth. And I am the life. Can we trust the Bible? Well, we are given four infallible tests that we can apply to any claim to see whether it's true or not. These are objective tests. You can apply them to Scripture, which we're going to do right now, and you can apply them to any claim that somebody makes. So let's, let's apply these four tests to Scripture and let's see whether it's of any value in our lives today. First one is this. Uh, the first test is authority. Authority. Whenever somebody or anybody is making a claim, we have to seek the authority that they have to make that claim. Authority means the claims or the claim or claims comes from somebody with authority. And what that means is, for example, if you are studying at a university level and you are making a case in an essay or in a project of any kind, you will be asked to quote scholars from a scholarly reference. Why? Because the guy down the road or the guy at the pub is not an authoritative, unless it's about beer, is not an authoritative source. Is Scripture, or does Scripture come from authority? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to give you the reasons why I believe Scripture absolutely comes from authority. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed the original Authority is God, but how can we say that in a world today? How can we take this book here and go that it, and say you know what it definitely has a divine origin? Well the first one is prophetic accuracy. you can go and look all of these up for yourselves later on i 'm just making a simple case this morning first one is prophetic accuracy the claim of authority is backed up in many fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament right through to the New Testament and we are going to see that there are prophetic prophetic utterances from the New Testament that have been fulfilled as well as many from the Old Testament. We actually see in history where prophecy has been given and we have the absolute fulfillment of those. One of the greatest examples of that, as we looked at last week, was the person of Jesus of Nazareth. In fact... uh, Jesus so accurately fulfills 44 prophecies from the book, not just the book of Isaiah, but throughout the Old Testament, that everybody said the book of Isaiah must have been written after he died. And we're going to talk about a little Bedouin shepherd that found a scroll of Isaiah that proved that this this enormously predates Christ. Actually, by 700 years... That's one of the reasons I believe that the authority and the origin of everything we read is the self-revelation of the God who created the universe. That's one reason. Another reason is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the, the reality is from last week... How we answer the question, who is Jesus, determines what place the word of God has in our lives anyway. Because if Jesus is who I believe he is, that is Lord and Messiah, he held scripture to be an enormously high value. He was quoting scripture uh, quite often. In fact, it was Jesus who said that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I have heard some in Christian circles who believe in Jesus but hold the Bible to be written by men. That sounds like an oxymoron to me. Those two don't line up. Jesus says in John seventeen seventeen in his high priestly prayer, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify means to set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus clearly heralds the Bible's authority in his life and the demands of scripture on our lives. Jesus will go on to say, we'll read this later, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. The last one is the miracles. I'm going to use two examples today that history backs up. First one is Israel coming across the Red Sea. Uh, Modern historical archaeologists are uncovering enormous evidence for the fact that we have Israel in Egypt and we have Israel here and we have journey and it definitely had to go through the Red Sea. So much so that many today are saying you know what, we've found a place at the Red Sea where when the east wind blows at just the right strength, you could possibly cross in knee deep water. The miracle has not been removed because God drowned the entire Egyptian army in knee deep water. There is strong evidence that that actually took place, that they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the biggest one was the one that we covered last week. This is, the, this is the home run for me, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's predicted in the Old Testament. It was predicted by Jesus. It's recorded in the Gospels. It is attested to by history. It is a miracle, nothing short of that, which points to Scripture holding a divine origin. And the highest authority as coming from God. It says, many people will say, but men wrote this. Scripture says that those men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The inspiration and the origin comes from the highest authority. Let's keep working on test number two is coherence coherence means a consistent and overarching explanation for all of the facts i love this one because the bible hits a home run here in my opinion we see that the bible has the explanation for all of the facts and actually all of the questions of life you have to the bible to be true north has to answer all of our questions it has to answer questions like origins where did we come from we all know where terry came from Aladala. I had to slip it in, bro. <laughs> I've been looking for an opportunity to slip that one in. <laughs> but it has to answer questions like origins. It has to answer questions like, is there a hope beyond our suffering and affliction? And, and it has to answer questions like, where am I going? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Stay tuned for that through the Why series. But... Is the Bible coherent? Does it give a consistent and overarching explanation for all the facts? I believe so, for a couple of reasons. First one is its unity. I love this one. The Bible has 40 different authors. It's written over a period of 1600 years. Uh, 66 books compile what we know as the Bible. It had 400 silent years between Old Testament and New Testament. Yet the Bible tells the one glorious, beautiful, uh, unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the story of God seeking the hearts of man kind and redeeming us when we decided we wanted to go our own way. All the authors from very different backgrounds... We'll get to that one in a moment. And from different cultures penned the one beautiful story. And this story helps us to understand a few really important things like why are we here? How can we know and have peace with the God who brought us into existence? Is there life after death? Is there a hope that rises above affliction? The Bible answers all of these questions. It has a unity. that we can see that it also comes from the one source of authority. The next one, and here's the one I really like. I'm I'm going to make a claim today. I'm going to probably shock some people here today. But I want you to know that the Bible is actually filled with adultery, murder, betrayal, stealing and lies. None of it is hidden. Uh, The the Bible doesn't remove or dodge any facts. Uh, Some of the most prominent leaders in the Bible committed horrendous acts like sending somebody's husband to the front lines to make sure they were killed so I could have their wife and none other than the king of Israel. Uh, the, one of the founding fathers of the nation of Israel, Jacob, was a deceiver, swindled his brother for the blessings. My boys don't have to worry about that. There's no blessings coming. <laughs> Only judgment. <laughs> but the Bible is painfully honest. The Bible records God reaching such men as those and such men as us in our horrendous mess and doesn't hide any of the facts. The Bible doesn't even, you know, the Bible doesn't even try to defend God. It just declares God is sovereign. Doesn't have to defend that. Jesus is the Messiah. Doesn't have to defend that. He's the Son of God. Don't don't have to defend that. Came by a virgin. He's the incarnation. Don't have to defend it. It just is. Jesus says in a number of occasions in the book of John, I am. and doesn't make any defence for it. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Painfully honest and open. The Bible's honesty, those God mightily used, were often a mess. And this speaks of the embarrassing factor. If you were going to make the Bible up, if men had written this, if David had written this, he might have excluded the adultery part. If Paul, the apostle, had written this without the inspiration of God, he might have left the whole, killing most of the church to begin with out of it. The Bible is painfully honest. And I believe that that speaks to the consistency and the coherence. Let's move on to the next word, which is consistency. That means that all of the statements, correct statements, actually do not contradict just before we go any further, uh, some of the most adamant atheists and enemies of the Bible have pulled this apart from the start to the finish and they still, they only pose theories of contradictions. There doesn't appear to be any concrete contradictions the uh, First one to its consistency is its historical and geographical accuracy, which we touched on before. Modern archaeologists have repeatedly unearthed evidence of people, places and cultures that are described in Scripture. Bart Ehrman uh, is one of the leading New Testament scholars today, but he's a staunch atheist. Why then? Sounds like an oxymoron, right? Why then be a uh, scholar of the New Testament? Because he realises that what is recorded in the New Testament is... It, Impertinent for knowing what happened in the first century. They are able to understand the culture better. They are under, able to understand some of the places and the people a lot better. New Testament scholar, but he's an atheist. Interesting. Time after time, the biblical descriptions have shown to be more reliable than the speculation from scholars. The names, places, time frames read the start of Luke chapter 3. It lists actual people in actual time frames. The historical and geographical accuracy points to the consistency of Scripture. The other one is its preservation. You know, uh, for a long time, many people said that we have really lost the Bible to both time and tampering. Until a little Bedouin shepherd was walking through the desert and through a rock that went into a hole and he heard something break. Oh, huh, it's interesting. So he goes down and unearths what we know today to be the Dead Sea Scrolls. All of those scrolls dated to be over two millennia. Uh, But the most important one was the book of Isaiah. When we say that we've lost the Bible to both time and tampering, what we found was, and literally maybe four words in that scroll are different to what you read in your Bible today. Completely and utterly the same. Word for word, maybe four words were different. The preservation of the Scriptures, as we, the preservation of the New Testament documents are the same, which proves its consistency and its survival. Uh, we're going to get to the last one in a moment, but the survival of Scripture. Uh, if there is one book that anybody has tried to discredit down through time, it has definitely been the Bible. It has been criticised. It has been scrutinised. It has been pulled apart. It has been examined by fierce opponents, yet it's still the globe's number one bestseller. Uh, for those that are aware, uh, Angola Prison in America, I don't know if anybody's heard of Angola Prison, uh, in Louisiana I think it is, but the, the then warden, uh, and I, his name escapes me at the moment, but he, he, he was asked to be the warden of Angola Prison, he's a member of the Southern Baptists, and uh, he said, you know what, it was, Angola Prison was so bad that when they checked you in, they gave you a shiv to protect yourself, because they said, you know what, we've lost control here. And so they asked this guy, look, will you become the warden? He said, oh, I'll, I'll be the warden, yeah, but I'm going to do it my way. They said, we couldn't really care less. We send you the worst criminals, and you know what? We couldn't really care less what you do with them anyway. So step number one was he put a Bible in every cell. It wasn't a Bible in the place. He said every cell will have a Bible. I don't care whether they use it or not, but he says every cell will have a Bible. Today, there is a seminary in Angola, prison. They today they are sending criminals out of there as missionaries to other prisons. And these guys are leaving Angola prison saying, we're not getting a day off our sentence, but we want to take the good news of Jesus Christ to these other guys. Uh, John, Piper interview, John Piper regularly teaches at the seminary. And John Piper was interviewed. He interviewed one of the guys that were there and said, you know what, Uh, thank you, but don't pray for me. I'm never going to get out of here. I've I've got a life sentence. Don't pray for me because, you know what, Uh, my family are outside there and they think they're free, but they're more enslaved than I am. Can you please pray for my family? What a radical change. And it all started by putting the Bible into cells. Then they slowly started chapel. Now they have chapel every day by the way, at Angola Prison, so I might just go there for a visit anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a good place to be, right? The last one, and this one's the most important. In fact, this test of truth, uh, by all philosophers, etc., would say that this is the number one most valid test for all truth claims, and that is the test of correspondence correspondence is when a claim corresponds with its object. So for example, if I said to you that the White House is in Washington DC, that's correspondence. The claim that I'm making corresponds with reality. And I would like to make the claim and I will make the case this morning that the Bible has enormous correspondence. Why? Because of the radical transformation in people's lives. There are millions of people today And there are billions of people down through history that will testify to the fact that this Bible, and we just heard about Angola Prison, that will testify that this Bible has radically transformed their life and their culture. We have free education today. We have hospitals today and nurse care because of Christians taking the principle of true north here and establishing it into our culture. We have much today to thank the Christians for. But it's not just that, it's the Celts of Ireland will attest to radical transformation from the Bible. The horribly wild Vikings of Norway. Uh, for those that have watched the, the series Vikings, it's, Hollywood certainly exemplified it, but there is much there that is historically based. The radical transformation, what happens is these Vikings go on a raiding party to England and they take a monk back with them. For those that have watched, that part is true. And the monk speaks of a monotheistic God, one God. These guys have got all these gods. I couldn't keep track. But the Bible and what is introduced to these Vikings radically transforms the Vikings and radically transforms their culture. The the Indians of Ecuador, the Orca Indians of Ecuador, are another ones that would like say radically transformed by the Bible. In fact, this here is banned in some countries for a very good reason. It has power to transform people's lives. John chapter eight, verse thirty-two, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And millions Today and billions through history would say, the truth has set me free. Quickly as we bring this to a close this morning, it's all right to sit here and say, well yeah, okay, maybe the Bible is what it says it is, but I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to take hold of the number one test for truth and that is correspondence. I want you to take hold of this Bible and Apply to your life and see what happens. I want to read you a parable, in fact, of Jesus as we bring this to a close. As I bring this to a challenge to everybody here today, I would challenge you to reorientate your life according to true north. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is the prelude to what comes next. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. You can sum up those verses with this. What's important is not profession, but possession. What Jesus is saying here is you can say what you like, but do I have your hearts? goes on and says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine. You can't hear this word unless you expose yourself to it. Please don't tell me God doesn't speak today if there is dust on your Bible. But please, please do not tell me that God speaks today if there is dust on your Bible. Not everybody who says, sorry, excuse me, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is urging us all to build our house on the truth. That's Jesus. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded On the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And as I look around the culture today, I see people who have built their lives on sand. Their opinions shift every day. Whatever's new, black lives matter today, they don't matter tomorrow. We're shifting with the culture, trying to uh, sometimes it's even slipping in the back door of church. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Well, What do we take away from this? We take away, do you know, both builders of this house. Both, both houses looked good from the outside. And both of these houses were exposed to adverse weather. If you were told, come to Jesus and your life's going to be rosy, then please go back to that person and get your money back. The reality is that life blows upon us sometimes. The floods come, the rain falls. If you're in Tassie, it falls all too often. What matters is where you build your house. What matters is when when nobody else is looking. A.W. Tozer says that you can sum up your religion by who you are when nobody else is looking. What governs your life? In a world that is spinning out of control, in a world where everybody's lost, both inside of churches sometimes and outside of churches, everybody's looking for true north and we've got it in our hands. The truth by which we can govern our lives is the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage everybody here to build your life on Jesus and let his truth Its authority in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that every one of us would begin to build upon that rock even more, Lord. We live in a shifting culture, we live in a culture of theories and opinions. Jesus, I pray that your truth would pierce our hearts and establish our lives. I pray that the Bible would come back to schools. I pray that the Bible would come back to Parliament. I pray the Bible would come back to our families. And Lord, may we never step sideways in your house from your word as the authority in our lives. Holy Spirit, help us because we need your help. Help us to build our lives on Jesus. Help us to orientate our lives towards the true north that you've given us. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen.